Welcome to UAB MedCast, a continuing education podcast for medical professionals, providing knowledge that is moving medicine forward. Here's Melanie Cole. Recent guidelines have been released defining clinical criteria for progressive pulmonary fibrosis and optimal management. And we're here today to illustrate a summary of the key points from these guidelines. Welcome to UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole, and joining me is Dr. Tasia Kulkarni. She's a pulmonologist in critical care medicine and an associate professor at UAB Medicine. Dr. Kulkarni, thank you so much for being with us today. There's increasing recognition that certain interstitial lung diseases behave similar to idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis with development of a progressive fibrotic phenotype. Can you tell us about the scope of the issue that we're discussing here today and what's previously been the thought about the pathophysiology and have there been sort of different definitions of progressive pulmonary fibrosis? Can you explain a little bit about that to us? Thank you, Melanie, for having me. And absolutely. So when we talk about fibrotic lung diseases, it is a group of almost 200 entities. They're characterized by heterogeneity in the extent of inflammation and or fibrosis. As we talked about, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is the most common form when we talk about the fibrotic lung diseases. But there's been more and more evidence over the last few years that there's a similar progressive phenotype in a proportion of non-IPF fibrosing lung diseases. They share overlapping genetic, pathophysiological, and some clinical features with IPF. This understanding has evolved over time, and how we defined a progressive phenotype has certainly changed over the last few years. This entity, or progressive fibrosing interstitial lung disease, or PFILD, was initially termed with the first clinical trial that looked at patients with this phenotype. And with the new recent guidelines, we now define it a little differently in terms of the symptoms, the physiological findings, and the CT findings. Well, thank you for that. So previously, there had been no consensus on how to clinically define these patients nor to manage them. So why don't you tell us about those recent guidelines and really about the clinical criteria and optimal management? Give us some of those key points. So progressive pulmonary fibrosis is now defined as either symptomatic or physiologic or radiological evidence of progression. These are patients with non-IPF diagnosis of interstitial lung disease. So the patients have to meet at least two out of the three criteria. The first criteria is worsening respiratory symptoms. The second criteria is physiological evidence of disease progression either by showing that there's an absolute decline in forced vital capacity of greater than or equal to 5% predicted within one year of follow-up, or an absolute decline in diffusion capacity greater than or equal to 10% predicted within one year of follow-up. And then the third criteria is radiological evidence of disease progression. So either there is an increased extent or severity of traction bronchiectasis, there's new ground glass opacity with traction bronchiectasis, new fine reticulation, increased extent or increased coarseness of reticulations that were previously present, new or increased honeycomb changes, or increased lobar volume loss. So if the patient meets two out of these three criteria within the past year with no alternative explanation, this patient is now told to have progressive pulmonary fibrosis. Remember, it's not a diagnosis, but it's more of an entity to define how the patient is doing. 
So as it's not a diagnosis and an entity to sort of stage the patient, then how important is that early staging or assessment as being crucial to improve outcome prediction? And as we're discussing the diagnosis and challenge with this, tell us about the clinical experience, the importance of that multidisciplinary group of experts, because with patients with these types of challenges, getting that group together would seem to be really the most expeditious approach to getting them the treatment that they need. Absolutely. When we talk about management of progressive pulmonary fibrosis, I mean, there is a pre and a post, right? Before the progression happens, how do we recognize these patients? And so for that, it's very important to understand what are the risk factors for progression. So you recognize some of the different types of pulmonary fibrosis that have a higher tendency to progress further. So among the connective tissue disease-related ILD, scleroderma and rheumatoid arthritis tend to have a higher predilection towards progression. And if the CT actually shows more fibrosis than inflammation, those patients tend to have progression much quicker. You see the progression much earlier and they progress faster. So recognizing those signs are very important. Now, if you take a patient with hypersensitivity pneumonitis, if they present early in their disease, they may have more inflammation, but they present later in their disease, then they have a more fibrotic phenotype. And if they show usual interstitial pneumonia pattern, those patients have a higher tendency to progress as well. So before the progression happens, recognizing the risk factors are very important. So you can actually treat the patient appropriately as well as monitor them at least every three to six months to look for progression. Once the progression has already occurred, now if the patient meets the phenotype of the criteria for progressive pulmonary fibrosis, then comes the next question of how do we change the management? What do I change in terms of the patient's treatment? So clinically, it's very important to recognize the risk factors before the progression happens and then understand how do we treat these patients after the progression happens as well. So then speak about that. What happens next? When we talk about management before progression already happens in connective tissue disease-related ILD patients, mycophenolate mofetol is the first line of therapy typically along with varying doses of glucocorticoids. But if you do see progression in spite of treatment with these medications, we have to think about whether this progression is related to a more inflammatory phenotype or is it more fibrosis that has now ensued. So there's this gray zone when we talk about the treatment, but you could think about escalating immunosuppression to maybe rituximab. Now there are newer trials which have shown the benefit of rituximab in this patient population. And, or they have a more fibrotic phenotype, you could consider adding nintadenib, and that is based on the inbuilt trial, which is what I was talking about earlier. In the inbuilt trial, the term PFILD was initially termed, and the way progression was defined was slightly different, but overall, though, it is disease progression. And so if the patient has a more fibrotic phenotype, more fibrosis seen on the CT scan, then you add an antifibrotic therapy as well, in addition to escalating immunosuppression for these patients. Similarly, for a patient who has chronic hypersensitivity pneumonitis, once the antigen has been removed and you've considered maybe immunosuppression in some of the patients, if they continue to have progression, you could add nintadenib for a more fibrotic phenotype. And this would apply for the varying other ILDs that are also present. 
Well, then, Dr. Kulkarni, would you please speak about comprehensive management and what's involved in that aspect? Absolutely. I think you have to see the patient as a whole. It's not just about one medication that you're trying to treat the patient with or looking at numbers that you're getting from pulmonary function tests or changes seen on CT scan. For a more holistic, comprehensive management, it involves more than just pharmacological therapy. Important non-pharmacological therapies are supplemental oxygen, pulmonary rehabilitation. These are very important to try to help improve patients' functionality. We do try to have our patients attend pulmonary rehabilitation if feasible, at least on an annual basis. We also do six-minute walk tests on an annual basis to look for the need for supplemental oxygen. Another important factor we focus on is comorbidities. A lot of these patients have other comorbidities like reflux disease. They develop pulmonary hypertension. They have obstructive sleep apnea. And recognizing or asking questions to recognize these comorbidities as well as evaluating further and treating is equally important as we talk about a comprehensive management of these patients. Additionally, when the patients have a progressive disease, we have to think about is lung transplant appropriate for this patient? And if they are potentially a candidate for lung transplantation, early referral to the transplant program is equally crucial and important to give the patient the best chance there is at success with the lung transplant. And ultimately, if all else fails, think about more involvement of support systems, focusing on the patient's symptoms and comfort, and not just trying to treat the disease itself. Early recognition of that and involvement of the palliative team in the management of our patients is also very important. So please speak as we wrap up about the unique areas that set you apart and why it's so important you just mentioned early referral for lung transplant. Tell other providers why it's so important to refer to the specialists at UAB Medicine. And if someone wants to refer a patient, when is the best time to do that? Yes, so UAB has a large interstitial lung disease program, which not only encompasses clinical care of these patients and management, but also the ability to refer to lung transplant program and work with our lung transplant team. We also have an excellent clinical trial program here, and that is an additional opportunity for patients to not only be on the current FDA-approved treatment, but also participate in clinical trials. The earlier the patient is referred to us for additional recommendations or management, the higher the chances of success or better outcomes. What I would recommend is that we can definitely help with early diagnosis of the specific type of interstitial lung disease for your patients and continue further co-management of the patient's with a few visits at UAB and a few visits with their providers. Early referral to lung transplant program, which is extremely crucial if the patient is eligible, and participation in clinical trials. Such an interesting topic, and thank you for joining us today and sharing your expertise in those recently reviewed guidelines. Thank you again, and a physician can refer a patient to UAB Medicine by calling the MIST line at 1-800-UAB-MIST or by calling our website at uabmedicine.org slash physician. That concludes this episode of UAB MedCast. I'm Melanie Cole.